Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Tailored Book Recommendations, now available as a gift for Valentine's Day. Is your favorite Valentine or Galentine or Palantine a hard-to-shop-for book lover? Give the gift of TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Choose from plans that allow your loved one to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email as a one-time gift or year-long subscription and sit back while our bibliologists do the rest. When your recipient redeems their gift, they'll complete a profile to tell TBR about their reading preferences and what they're looking for, and they can even connect their Goodreads account. Then we'll match them up with a bibliologist who will handpick recommendations just for them. Gifts start at just $16, so there's an option for every budget. Plus, you can schedule the gift to be delivered to your Valentine's inbox on Valentine's Day. No waiting on shipping delays. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so when you treat someone's shelf, you're supporting an indie too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 97, and we are recording on February 5th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, inspired by last week's discussion, we are talking about climate fiction, but not cli-fi. <laughs> <laughs> Never cli-fi. <laughs> Never. I do like climate punk. Yeah, I was thinking, I like this idea of climate punk, although I'm not too sure either of my picks count for it so we're gonna have to talk about what climate punk might mean yeah later on in the show yeah yeah uh so like i said at the top here we're in episode 97 which is bonkers wow uh, i know <laughs> which means we're coming up real fast on episode 100 um and we are very open to ideas about uh, if we if you all would like to hear something fun or different for episode 100, uh, drop us a line, yeah at bookriot.com. Uh, shoot us your ideas. It'll be we'll, we'll do something. Yeah, we <laughs> have to celebrate somehow. It's a yeah. celebratory day. I can't believe how many episodes we have behind us. I mean, it's so many. <laughs> it feels like I've never not been doing this podcast, but... <laughs> Also, I do. Wow. Fi- I have a really clear memory of recording episode zero, actually, and being so excited to like get uh, this up and running. Yeah, yeah but that, that was, was like a billion years ago. It was a billion years ago. Uh, but it's really exciting to be coming on, up on our one hundredth recording, and I'm so happy we've lasted this long. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for continuing to listen, for yes. coming on board whenever you came on board. We super appreciate it. We absolutely do. Well, yes, send us your ideas. And before we start talking about some news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is The Echo Wife by Sarah Gailey. Sarah Gailey is so prolific. It is incredible. They're a Hugo award-winning and best-selling author. And Gailey burst onto the speculative fiction scene back in 2015, and we've talked about their books before. Uh, One of the sharpest and funniest voices out there. And so this upcoming audiobook, specifically The Echo Wife, is described as a nonstop thrill ride of lies, betrayal, and identity Perfect for fans of Big Little Lies and one of my favorites, Killing Eve. And this is about uh, Evelyn Caldwell, whose husband, Nathan, has been having an affair with Evelyn Caldwell. Very strange. Or, to be exact, with a genetically cloned replica made from Evelyn's award-winning research. So... Of course, coming from Sarah Gailey, a very unusual story, a, I'm sure, very well-written, wonderful story. 
Uh, I love Sarah Gailey's work, and you should definitely check out The Echo Wife, again, coming out soon. And this is narrated by Exy Sands, who also read Gailey's Magic for Liars. So definitely check out that audiobook, and thank you for sponsoring today's episode. All right, it's me first. Uh, I want to talk about this exciting news from the world of Wakanda. Yes. Yeah, this is really exciting. So uh, we just got word. This actually has two parts. This is a a story coming from Gizmodo, from Jermaine Lussier, who's writing about this news that Ryan Coogler is as he's getting ready to film the sequel to the Black Panther or to Black Panther, he's now also developing a Disney Plus show, which is set in the same setting. So this is set in Wakanda as well. And this show that's a series is part of this new five-year television deal, which seems like a lot to me. So five-year yeah. television deal signed with Disney, um, and this is with his production company, Proximity Media. So we're going to be getting a lot more from Kugler and specifically from the MCU. So I'm really curious about this Black Panther show and about what's coming out of this five-year deal and how much we're going to get. I mean, it it almost seems like I hope they start like ideas and production later so that they can get as much stuff done as possible without worrying (laughs) about like pandemic production issues. Um, But I'm really, really excited to find out what comes out of this because, you know, Black Panther was amazing and groundbreaking and there are so, so many fans. I know so many people are going to be on board with whatever Googler has planned and I'm just like totally thrilled that this is happening and that it's going to be on Disney Plus because I have access to that streaming platform. (laughs) (laughs) Selfishly. (laughs) Yeah. I was just thinking our plan is to cancel our Disney Plus. We're paying now for it. I originally had like, I think, a year free. It's hard to believe that Disney Plus has been out for more than a year. Um, But we were going to cancel it as soon as we were done rewatching The Simpsons. Uh, And this has just been announced, so, like, you know, it's going to be years before yeah. anything is actually coming to the screen. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just let it lapse for a couple of years and then turn it back on. But I definitely will resubscribe if I'm not still subscribed to watch this. I have no doubt of that. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be well worth it. And then you can just cancel again. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, who knows how much content is going to be coming out. Maybe they'll, like, do it all at once and then you can just marathon everything. There you go. But, you know, I don't know how things in the movie world work. So I doubt that's going to happen. But <laughs> Yeah, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, but super exciting. I can't wait. Um for, I mean, the sequel and the show. Very, mm-hmm. very exciting. Yeah, agree. Uh, so let's see. Oh, I know the first thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about, this is just like a heads up to everybody, that there uh, is an event called A Celebration of Octavia E. Butler. It is a virtual event put on by the Symphony Space, which is a great venue in New York City. Um, It's happening on February 24th, uh, so you still have plenty of time to buy tickets, and they're only $15, and it's an hour long, and this is uh, actors and authors coming together for an evening of readings and conversation to celebrate Octavia E. Butler's work. Um, Some of the folks involved include playwright Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, N.K. Jemison, Walter Mosley, Imani Perry. It's like a great looking list. Um... And I I will say I have not attended a single that's not true. I attended one virtual event in the last year. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> and it was like a live reading of the Princess Bride to raise money for the Wisconsin oh, yeah. Democrats. That's the only thing I did. Um 
And because it because it's it was just like I I'm happy to have that on the background. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. the thought of like like as soon as I close my computer at the end of my workday, the last thing I want to do is get back onto it. Yep. Even if it's like a super compelling, and there have been amazing compelling virtual events, I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, but this I might make an exception for. This sounds amazing. Yeah, there's so many great people. Like basically everybody who's listed here is amazing. And so it's hard to deny this group of people talking about Octavia Butler. It's just so many great things coming together. I'm in the same boat as you. Like I had all these ideas about all of the things I would watch and participate in Mm -hmm. virtually, but I am also like I I can hardly look at my phone sometimes after yes (laughs) so (laughs) I have not been participating as much but you know $15 and taking a little time out to watch some really great writers talk about an absolute legend and icon I I can make time I can make time on a Wednesday Right (laughs) for this, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool Uh, they give people um a uh, like ten percent off of their their books for this event. So yeah, check that out as well if you want to get some some discounts. I know we're always looking for discounts on books out there. So so true. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll leave a link to the event page in the show notes. And thanks to our very own Swords and Spaceships uh, sci-fi fantasy newsletter um, written by Alex Axe, who's amazing, for tipping me off to this event. So helpful. So great. So helpful. Well, I have a quick one, actually. Um, And this is just a sort of... This is for all the Game of Thrones fans out there who have forgotten maybe on purpose, about <laughs> the last book in the series. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. <laughs> the Winds of Winter. Like, I can't even say that title without no. having, like, a million different emotions and feeling, like, frustration in the air. But uh, George R. R. Martin, in, in case anybody didn't know, still writes... Well, it is not a blog, as it's called, <laughs> like, at the top of the page. But <laughs> I remember when he was, like, writing. He, I think he was still using, like, LiveJournal. But anyway, he I has... Was, yeah. yeah, he's updating his, uh, his uh, page with some news about the Winds of Winter. And he also talks about, like, the pandemic and what he's been going through. And, you know, like, a lot of people losing... Uh, friends and people who are close. And then toward the end of this post, this update, he talks about how he's been doing a lot of work as well and how he has been writing hundreds and hundreds of pages, as he writes, the wi- of the winds of winter. So lots of work being done. I mean, when George R. R. Martin says he's been writing hundreds and hundreds of pages, I mean, those books are so long. And I'm sure there's I don't know how long they are at whatever draft he's on, but there might be a lot of culling and a lot of cutting. So I don't know exactly like what that means in terms of like story progress or plot progress. Um, he might just be like a chapter in for all I know. But <laughs> like. <laughs> It is some news. It is like as close to an update as we've gotten in a long time. And he does make a note that he's not making any predictions on when he's going to finish because of, and I won't use the expletive that he uses because this is, (laughs) you know, for all ages show, but uh, people on the internet who take his, uh, predictions as a promise so he's not making predictions but he is saying he's made progress this book is still in the works it hasn't been like shelved and forgotten so one day again we will be getting the winds of winter I so I read this. I I really it feels so live journal Sharifa, especially that current mood thing at the bottom. Yes, <laughs> I was like oh, oh my man, goodness, I missed that. 
<laughs> it's it is the most live journal. Um, I I was thinking back to that Terry Pratchett. Uh, no, not Terry Pratchett. Excuse me, Terry Brooks interview yeah, yeah. that we talked about last time about burnout and long series. And I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder what George Martin would say if he were willing and able to be as frank as Terry Brooks was in that interview about. Oh, his boy. his potential like you know potential burnout around writing Game of Thrones. I'm not saying that I know that he's burnt out on it. I'm just saying I can imagine that he might be. Um, but it is nice to hear that he is feeling hopeful about it. That's yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. It's good to know he's healthy. He's doing well. I mean, all yeah. you know, considering everything else, but you know, and he's he's getting work done and. I mean, I'm sure, like, I don't want to assume, but I would be ready to lay this thing to rest. And I don't know, maybe he's perfectly happy to be working on it for a long time. But I, too, would (laughs) like to hear from him on what he actually feels about this series at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He probably won't be able to do that until it's done. Yep. (laughs) Done, done. Not just like the next book, but like finished. Published and out of his hands. Yeah. Uh, All right. So I have a note here to see how many of these other adaptation updates we can get through in um, looking at my (laughs) clock here. Five minutes. Let's see how many we can get through in five minutes. Um, I'm going to start with this update about Disney Plus's Willow series. Because I had missed this that uh, John. Oh, so I'm I'm looking at a piece on Tor.com, um, reported by Andrew Liptak, who notes that John Chu announced that he was stepping down from the director's mm-hmm. chair, which was news that I had missed. Uh, and now the replacement director is Jonathan Entwistle, who is best known for the end of the effing world. And I am not okay with this. Um, and I had this real moment of sadness because I think, I can't remember if I talked to you or a guest about it, but I was kind of psyched to see, like, what John Chu, like, director of Fast and Furious movies would make of, you know, Willow. Uh, And now we will never know. We will never know. Um, Apparently he dropped out because uh, his, he and his family are expecting another child. And so he's choosing work-life balance, which I support, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I am really bummed. Uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with Entwistle's work, so I have no idea. Maybe this is very exciting news for some folks. Um, But I, I am mourning a little bit the loss of, of the Willow series that now will never be. Yeah, I remember you talking about this and your excitement, and it would have been super interesting to see. I will say that it was, of course, my eyes scanned for like, uh uh-oh, were there like creative differences that he dropped out? Like, what's happening? So it was kind of nice for me in the end to see that it was because of like good news and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that. But yes. Uh, creatively, it feels like a bit of a loss. I am also not familiar with Jonathan Entwistle, but um, I'm really, I'm still excited to yeah. see this, maybe just because Warwick Davis is in it, you know, like, mm-hmm. I can't pass up a Warwick Davis movie, especially if it's a Willow, uh, yeah. a Willow sequel that takes place, like, what is it supposed to be, decades after the original Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting. I have my fingers crossed that it's going to be well directed still. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, do you want to talk about this Witcher news next? Uh, I actually want to talk about Sandman, if you don't. Oh, let's want. talk about Sandman. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about Witcher still because I'm bad oh, that's fine. at catching up on it. <laughs> that's totally but fine. I do remember some about... Sandman, which is uh, by Neil Gaiman. It was a comic from back when, I guess way back when now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Sandman has been, there have been a lot of like attempts to adapt Sandman. And it's one of those stories that I guess kind of like American Gods, it can be really complex and like it does require a large cast. And I know there were like budget concerns because it, it sort of has to be a big budget adaptation because of the content. And so um, it's happening. And they have also 
announced some of the actors, the main actors who are going to be in the adaptation, which is really exciting. So there's Tom Sturridge, who is playing Dream, this main character, the Lord of the Dreaming. And then there's, as this um, article on Hollywood Reporter reports, uh, there's a bit of a Game of Thrones reunion, speaking (laughs) of Game of Thrones, with you know, Brienne of Tarth showing up, Gwendolyn Christie, who's playing Lucifer, and also Charles Dance, who's Tywin Lannister, is in mm. this adaptation. There's also Vivian Achimpong and Boyd Holbrook, Asim Chaudhry, and Sanjeev Baskar, who are all playing roles in this. Um, Achimpong actually plays Lucien, who's the chief librarian, which is a really cool part. And Mm. trusted guardian of dreams realm as described here. So it sounds like it's going to be a really exciting and interesting adaptation. And we've seen some successful adaptations from, you know, the mind of Neil Gaiman so far. And I know that there are a lot of goths out there who are really excited (laughs) about this Sandman (laughs) adaptation. And so I... I actually have to pick this up and read it again because I remember like reading it way back when and that was before I was I didn't read a lot of comic books but I remember that this was one like somebody must have somebody I knew must have had it and I just picked it up and randomly read it not knowing anything Mm -hmm. about Neil Gaiman or Sandman and that fandom and I remember really enjoying it and not much else so I'm gonna pick up this book again and read it and I'm looking forward to this adaptation yeah same I'm very curious uh it's also it's interesting because you know I don't I don't know how aware you are of the House of Dreams stuff that they've been doing with Sandman oh yeah that's right they were doing right wasn't um Nayla Hopkinson, Uh, among others, um, but that was the big one, I think, for us, uh, Mm -hmm. has been, is one of the writers who have been able to, like, play around in this world. They've been producing stories and and comics uh, set within the world of Sandman, but obviously not written by Neil Gaiman, but he's very involved, from what I understand. Um, And so, like, the fact that there is an inclusive writing team creating new content for yes. the comics, you know, even though uh, none of those people are at least at first glance involved in the show, it still gives me hope that like there's going to be so because, you know, it was written way back in the day and I'm sure there's bits of it that oh, are now yeah. like, Ooh, like yeah. a little bit <laughs> needs, needs some updating to, to put it mildly. Um, but also, like, you know, I think that the franchise is in good shape currently in that regard. So that makes me more excited for this new adaptation as well. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm very excited to see some inclusivity because, yes, I am yeah. 100% sure that when I read, <laughs> when I pick it up to reread, it's going to be uh, an interesting experience that I will have opinions yeah. on. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, that was good. We got through two of them. <laughs> we did. And before I forget, this piece was reported by Leslie Goldberg. I could not find that name until now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right, cool. So let's see. Uh, oh, right. It's time to do another ad before we get into our climate fiction recommendations. So our next sponsor is Yen Press with Solo Leveling, which started out as a massively popular web novel that then inspired a webcomic, which will also be published in Yen Pre- by Yen Press starting in March. But this is a light novel, which is the thing I learned about this past year, thanks to oh, yeah. Little Witch Academia. Yeah, <laughs> it's very exciting. So uh, this is Solo Leveling is about E-rank hunter Jin Woo-sung, who has no money, no talent, and no prospects to speak of, and apparently no luck either. When he enters a hidden double dungeon one fateful day, he's abandoned by his party and left to die at the hands of some of the most horrific monsters he's ever encountered. But just before the last fatal blow... 
bing. Congratulations mm-hmm. on becoming a player. <laughs> that's, that's fun to read out loud. Um, so yes, obviously this is a uh, a webcomic that has become you know something much more than it started out as. Um, this is the first time the story will be available in print in English, and it's also the first time that I that an extremely popular Korean webcomic is having a print release. So all kinds of firsts going on here. Um, and yeah, if you are a manga fan, if you are a fan of the webcomic already, if you are a fan of light novels in general, or, you know, dungeons and dragons and parties and video games and all of that jazz, you're going to want to check this out. Again, it's Solo Leveling Volume 1, which is by Chugong and published by Yen Press. Thanks for sponsoring the show. All right. Yes. Let's talk about... Should we talk about climate punk and yeah. what that actually counts in? <laughs> we we were trying so to come like... up with an alternative term is what was going on. <laughs> like if you if it has to have a cutesy name, yes. could it be climate punk instead? But then but so I feel like certainly that's a thing. Um yeah. but like punk has to mean something. It can't just be like, you know what I mean, like a filler word. You know, I always thought of when like when we talked about, I think we had like an elf punk or some punk oh, yeah. episode. Yes, yeah, we, we did. had something like that. And in my mind, like that was kind of a moment where I did stop and think, well, what makes it punk? And I right. thought maybe it was like a certain level of grit and grittiness and like hmm. an edge. Like, I, Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. That is literally the only thing in my mind that makes something punk versus, like, (laughs) any other type of whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to say the word climate fiction or whatever. Like, it has to have that edge. Yeah. And and it's not that my picks don't have an edge, but I don't think either of them would consider themselves punk, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I don't think mine would either, actually. Yeah, so that's just an interesting side note. Um, but they are they're books that include climate change as a plot point in science fiction and fantasy. Let's so, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's that hard it. to grasp what we're talking about here. <laughs> um I do wanna say there's also we have this great post on Book Riot that's a beginner's guide to climate fiction that I'm gonna link in the show notes if you wanna like really dive in here. Yes. Um All right. So, yeah, I'm going to start off. I'm actually going to switch things up here and start off with my sci-fi pick because, although it's actually debatably sci-fi, it's speculative fiction. Let's Mm -hmm. just go with speculative fiction. Uh, Because it is so much darker in a lot of ways than my other one, and I want to end on a happier note. So... Um, my speculative fiction pick is Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler, uh, which I just finished doing a group read of for Book Riot Insiders, and it really did get me thinking about just these like really specific everyday details of climate change, which I think sometimes get lost when we think about the bigger picture. And, like, the technology options and, like, you know, the the cataclysmic changes. But it's like, okay, but what does that mean for everyday life? And I feel like one of the things that Parable of the Sower does so incredibly well is illustrate that. Uh, I do want to give content warnings. This is a really dark book. There is just harm to everyone. I mean, everyone. Um, It includes rape. There's animal death. There's fires, which I think for a lot of folks on the West Coast are now particularly triggering. So, like, heads up. Um, But, but yeah, so Parable of the Sower uh, is actually one of the slowest moving books I think I've ever read. It takes a while to get going. Uh, It takes, it starts in 2025. uh, And the main character, Lauren, is a teenager living in a sort of walled enclave of a neighborhood outside of Los Angeles. And uh, their community, which is very small, um, is, I guess, like this future's version of middle class. They have 
have, they mostly have enough to eat. They grow their own food. A lot of their community members are employed. Like they're making ends meet, but they are definitely uh, always aware that it is a very short step to, excuse me, subsistence. And there are also, you know, folks much worse off than them outside of this neighborhood walls who want what they have and who sometimes try to invade the neighborhood to get what they don't have. And there are, you know, terrible drug addictions, there's diseases, there's chronic water shortage. And, uh, and on top of that, you know, we're in a future California where like it rains like once every three years because that's what has happened, which, you know, is one of those things where you're like, there's this passage where Lauren is writing in her diary. She's telling you the story of her life. Um, and and she's just talking about like, oh, and it rained today and it's been three years since it rained. And like when you slow down and think about that, like I... It rains like once every two weeks where I live. Like I just, it's unimaginable to me. And yet it's so clear in Parable of the Sower just how normal that is for Lauren and also exactly what that means for her community, for growing things, for making sure that they have enough water to drink, to clean themselves with. I mean, so, so many things. Uh, Lauren also has hyperempathy, which is a genetic condition in this, you know, alternate future that makes her extremely sensitive to the pain of others as she witnesses it. And uh, this is like debilitating for her because she lives in a very violent world and sometimes has to use violence herself to survive. And like if you experience the harm you cause others or you experience the harm that others are causing to people in your vicinity, like how do you cope with that in this kind of world? Um And then eventually she's forced to leave this community and head out on the road and try to put together, you know, allies in this very uncertain and complicated world. And it's just, whoo, it's a lot. It's really, really good. And it's interesting to me because I didn't remember so many things. I first read it probably five years ago and rereading it. It was I just had forgotten so much of it, Um, especially these like very small details. Like, you know, there's a lot about like using acorns for flour in this in this book. And it's again, it's these little details like this that just show how thoroughly and uh, intensely Octavia Butler thought about the consequences of climate change. What does it mean to live in a warming world? What food sources are no longer available to you on an everyday basis? How do you earn money? You know, what what do the politics look like? And I mean, she's she's extremely prescient. Uh, it's kind of horrifying how many how many things <laughs> in this book are are like feel like reality. Um but yeah, it's it's I think it's a really it's it's weirdly sort of subtle in the way that it deals with climate change, even though, you know, a lot about this book is not subtle. But I, I think especially in this day and age, it's so worth reading, um, even though it was, you know, written like it was first published in 1993. Um, but all of these things are still things that we need to think about. Uh, so, again, that's Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. So many people were talking about that book in the last few, yeah, last few months. Uh, yeah, it's had a resurgence. You know, it finally yeah. hit the New York Times bestseller list last year, which oh, is wow. a huge deal. That's yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I remember that because it was around that time everybody was talking about it. But that's mm-hmm. that's kind of an amazing thing. Yeah. Well, mine is also going to the dark place. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, I I feel like maybe we need to read more utopian books or something. <laughs> well, I have I have one. I have one to talk about. Oh, good. That's right. You wanted to end on a happy note. Good because mine yeah. mine will not end on a happy note. So, <laughs> my first book is The Marrow Thieves by Sheree Demoline. This is a YA dystopian story centering indigenous people of North America and Shri Demeline is a Métis author and Frenchie who is the main character is also a Métis person so when we first meet Frenchie he's about 10 or 11 years old he's really young and we get this coming to story of his and it's a 
a truly horrible, unsettling introduction to his life and this world and the beginning of this journey he takes. And he meets this group of characters later in the book, and they all have these coming to stories, which are the stories of their big escape. And all of these stories are really deeply traumatic. And then what they're escaping are these schools where indigenous people are kidnapped and taken, where they're exploited and um, and used up so that the privileged, namely white people, can use them for one product of this really terrible future world they're living in where there are these torrential storms and there are no pollinators and there's limited wildlife and the wildlife that exists, some of them, some of the animals have evolved in really strange and unsettling ways. Uh, but where people in power steal from indigenous people for the symptom of this broader problem which is the problem of exploitation. And so there's this exploitation happening of multiple things. There's exploitation of the earth and of resources of indigenous people, including even like brown and black people who may have indigenous lineage or even anybody who's brown enough to be mistaken for an indigenous person. Like this is how deep it's running. And so Frenchie ends up, like, he finds himself traveling with this group of indigenous people, and they're all headed north toward what they hope is going to be safety. And so we learn more about this world while each of their stories unfolds. Um, and we also get Frenchie's coming-of-age story, in addition to his, you know, coming-to story. Because even though he he has to grow up really fast for his own survival, his story is mostly told when he's 16 years old. He's, you know becoming a man or whatever, growing up, becoming an adult, and he's experiencing those awkward teen moments, specifically with one girl named Rose who's indigenous and black. And most of the group is in their teens, but there's a little girl who's, I think, seven years old for most of the story. And then there's also an elder. And there's the leader, Mig, who's, who's, um, kind of taking charge and he's the one that's leading them north. So this is very much like a found family story, which I know a lot of us are always looking for. Uh, it's not cozy. It's not comforting. <laughs> there are trigger warnings for child abuse and child death, pedophilia and sexual assault. And there's also a tragic queer story here. There's this one chapter in particular that I had a really, really hard time reading. And the previous chapter kind of sets you up for this really hard story. The whole thing is difficult, but this particular chapter was really rough for me. So you do sort of have a second to brace yourself. And I did. And it was still like a challenging thing to read. But there are also these moments of joy and wonder and even some humor in this book. But it is a survival story and the hardships, both from living in the great outdoors and with truly ruthless and inhumane people, are not glossed over. They're right there on the page and they're pretty explicit. Although I will say that once you get to the bad parts, the traumatic events are stated frankly but the story doesn't linger over those hard moments mm. or go into like lengthy detail about them um but it's also worth noting that the schools in this story that they talk about a lot hearken to um the canadian indian residential school systems where indigenous children were torn from their families and their cultures and they were forced to assimilate so in this story all indigenous people are at risk people of all ages. And the story is an absolute gut punch and it needs to be. You hear about how history is treated indigenous people, but to a lot of people, those horrors are kind of simply history. But when you read The Marrow Thieves, it's really visceral and personal and you can't deny the pain. And I think that for that reason and many others, it's really an important book for young and older readers alike. And it kind of brings home the importance of caring for our planet and for each other. And it urges us to hold on to our humanity and to respect other cultures without commodifying or appropriating them. And also to, to recognize 
the danger of taking that opposite path. So again, I've been talking about The Marrow Thieves by Shri Demeline. Yeah, dark stuff. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> important, important stuff, dark yeah. stuff. Uh, okay, so a little are on the hopeful side, but still dealing with a lot of heavy things is my fantasy pick, which is Winter Keep by Kristen Kishore. Um, and well, actually, okay, let me do it this way. Before I get into that, I'm going to, I'm going to give my shout out to, uh, the most hopeful book that I have ever read about the environment and science fiction. And it is a short story collection called Glass and Gardens. It was edited by Serena Ulibarri. And it is very specifically a solar punk collection. Oh, yeah. And in this case, the punk refers to disruption. So... What each of these stories does is imagines a future founded on renewable energies, which I do think is punk in 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 that it's totally. so like the common wisdom is just so sort of down on the promise or even the like possibility of renewable energy. And to be like, we're going to do nothing but talk about what those futures might look like feels very disruptive and amazing to me. Um, and it is an extremely hopeful and inspiring collection. So again, that's Glass and Gardens, uh, edited by Serena Ulibarri. Um, okay, but now I'll talk about my fantasy pick, which is Winterkeep by Kristen Kishore. This book comes with content warnings for child abuse, harm to animals, and abduction and imprisonment. So some tough stuff happens in here. Um, but it's also – the reason I picked it for this because it is sort of – it's sort of not post-climate change. What this is about is at the moment where a, a society gets to make a choice. So – this is technically the fourth book in the Graceling series. Um, I do think you could read it as a standalone, although I recommend all of the books in this series. They're great. And uh, we get some characters who we have met before in the series, um, most notably Queen Bitterblue, who is uh, has her envoys to this new country and land of Winterkeep have drowned and the circumstances are very suspicious. Um, and so she sets off with her team to find the truth, but she is tossed overboard on a ship, like headed there and is like then takes off on this whole adventure of her own and her team thinks that she has drowned and is left to like try to fulfill the mission that they were sent on while mourning her. Um, and then we get a citizen of Winterkeep, Lovisa, who's a teenager and she's the daughter of two extremely high-ranking politi politicians who are on opposite sides of the political spectrum. Like they're famously the heads of two opposing parties who are also married. And, like, are always use an example of, you know, sticking to your principles but still having bipartisanship, which is a really interesting thing to think about right now. Um, they also are horrible people. Sorry, hands up. Um, spoilers. They're horrible people. And Lovisa has had a very tough childhood in a lot of ways. And she has evolved some coping mechanisms that basically just are to keep her as safe as, and her little brothers as safe as she can, which mostly consists of like constantly monitoring everything go going on around her and keeping as like quiet and low key as possible. Um, but she starts to find out things and starts to find out truths about her family and the the politics and the technology that are being developed in Winterkeep, which will threaten the environment, um, the animals, the economy, like all of those things are happening and people are doing it because of money. I mean, it's like hashtag the most relatable. Uh, and, and there's this beautiful moment in this book where she gets to confront someone about this and say, like, why are you making these choices? Like, when you know exactly where these choices are going to lead us, why are you making them? Why aren't you making better ones? And I wanted to, like, stand up and, like, cheer and, like, run <laughs> around my room when I read that. Because it's that's the question, right? It's like, we know... 
what happens when we use fossil fuels? Like we know so much. And like, so why are, why are these companies, why are these politicians, why are we all making these choices? Like why? And, and it doesn't allow for it to, the answer can't be that it's just inevitable. Like that there, it, this book doesn't believe that this, this story and these characters believe that other ways are possible. And that's like, that's the feeling that I feel like I always have to hang on to when I'm thinking about climate fiction, because, you know, so much of climate fiction is like, OK, we have royally screwed over ourselves and the planet. And now we have to live in this grim world where resources are scarce and life is really hard. And like, look at what we're doing to ourselves. And that's important because that is the truth. Like, if we continue down this road, that is what will happen. But I think if we get too wrapped up in the gloom, it's hard to remember that, like, we can make changes. We can make different choices. And that's one of the things that I loved about what this book does is it shows somebody asking, like, and saying, like, why don't we make different choices? Um, And it's also it's just got great characters. It's a really satisfying adventure story in a lot of ways. There's some very funny moments. Um, And, yeah, it's just it is it's rough but it's also extremely hopeful both about surviving personal trauma and like you know societal trauma i guess is the way i want to put it uh so again that's winter keep by kristen keshore thank you for something nice i almost wish that was the last one we were both talking about yeah I'm sorry, everybody, but my next pick is the Broken Earth Trilogy. I'm not sorry because this is a fantastic It's so book, good, though. <laughs> a series book. Yeah, it's so good by N.K. Jemisin. And this is also a story about exploitation. And this time it's in the face of this uh, massive geological events in this far future world where you have these triggering cataclysms that are called seasons that, you know, tear up the planet that wreak havoc. And in this world, you have civilization that's broken up into these comms, which are these communities that are kind of built for survival and to come up from these terrible seasons and try to rebuild. And because of the geological events, all of humanity exists on this one supercontinent that's called the stillness, which is a really frightening, existentially disturbing word for some reason. (laughs) You're right, though. Yeah. And so there are also um, origins who draw power from the earth. And, you know, while you think that people with that kind of power would be at the top of the ladder, they're actually the exploited. They're taken from their homes as children and they're trained to be used against uh, these seasons. So while the origins are important to humanity, they are not treated humanely. And the story itself is told from, from these three perspectives that ingeniously, I, I've not seen this done since or before maybe but they shift between first second and third person and the perspectives are from women who suffer an array of trials and there's this there's a trigger warning for child abuse and child death as well so note that so you've got Demaya who's a young girl and Origin who's taken from her home to train at the fulcrum and then there's Cyanite who's out on her first mission. And then there's Essen who goes looking for her daughter after she comes home to find her son murdered and her daughter missing. So really, really tough stories on all sides. And so as you follow these three perspectives, you know that a fifth season is on the horizon and the fifth season being a particularly catastrophic event that happens every, I think it was every century or so. And then the story takes kind of takes a look at a civilization that's grappling with destruction, literally a broken earth, broken by the havoc wreaked on the planet by humans. And also it alludes to systemic racism and castes. And similar to the Marrow Thieves, it puts you in the shoes of the oppressed so that you feel their suffering. You see the injustice through the eyes of those people victimized and you feel the character's pain and so with the coming of the fifth season and the story arcs of these perspectives there 
are the questions of, you know, how how humanity should pay for these injustices and whether humanity is even worth saving and whether the earth can be repaired, you know, which is, again, something we talk about and think about today. We've got both that, you know, the racial injustice conversations happening. We've got climate change huge in the headlines right now and in the past year or so, especially. So this is a really big, complex, deftly told story in these three award-winning books. And I'm sure everyone out there has heard about this series. I'm sure many of you have read it, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. It's just really a groundbreaking work of genius. And if you love world building as well, you are absolutely in for a treat. So again, I've been talking about the Bur- Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemison. So good. So good. I so good. So one of these days I'm going to reread that series. That's a good idea. And That's a good one to reread because I feel like there are enough details in there mm-hmm. that you could get something new out of it. Yeah. And also because I read it as it was being published. So there were like long periods in between reading the books. And I was like, do I remember what is going on from one book to the next? (laughs) The the eternal struggle with series. (laughs) Truly. All right. Well, that is our episode. Uh, Thank you, to our sound editor, D.R. Baker, who help us sound great each and every episode. Uh, For more climate fiction and other sci-fi fantasy recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com. And you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, Speaking of listening, thank you so much for (laughs) hanging with us. Uh, If you would like to reach out to us with feedback, theme ideas, suggestions for episode 100, any and all of those things, shoot us an email at sffyeah at bookriot.com. If you would take the time to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate that. It helps other folks to find the show and helps us to stay on the air. Uh, And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Sharifa, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Williams. S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. I am also mostly on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time.